Well, good morning, everybody. Oh, we got to do that again. Good morning, everyone. Ah, that was excellent. All right. Kim Bates, out of control. So uh, thanks for being with us today in person, online. Uh, if, if you wanted to fill out a connection card, complain about last week's sermon, I would encourage you to do that. Pastor James preached last week. Um, just have at it, all right? Um, so uh, here's the deal. Uh, if, you, um, if you've been keeping up with the emails here at church, you know some of what's going on. And if you haven't been getting emails from the church you want to, you can put that on your connection card as well. But we are in the midst of a search for a new youth pastor. And that has impacted some of our programming for student ministry. And so prior to Pastor Eric uh, accepting a call and leaving, he kind of front-loaded a mission, trips, uh, mission trip for students this summer. Then we had some leaders kind of take what he did and, and begin to run with it. And um, the, the place that we were planning on having our students go, that fell through. And we sent out an email with all kinds of information on that. Again, if you didn't get that email, put on your connection card, we'll get you on the email list. Uh, but it's, it's a question mark right now whether or not there's going to be a trip for students this summer. We're hoping that it's going to happen. We're talking to some other folks about potentially leading something. Uh, if it happens, the tomato sales will go towards that. If it doesn't happen, we'll put them in a special fund and we'll use them for a uh, trip in future. So, um, but we want to take a minute, pray for the student ministry search and just student ministry right now, our time together, and then we'll dive into things as we're kicking off a brand new series today. Father, thank you just for your goodness, your faithfulness. Uh, God, we pray that you would have your hands on this uh, mission trip, uh, that you would raise up leaders who would step in, be willing to plan something from scratch and lead students in that. Father, we pray for this search. We believe you called Pastor Eric to something new. We are confident that you are calling someone here. And we pray that you would make that connection in your time and that we would recognize it when it comes. As we begin this conversation today and consider the words of Jesus, I pray you'd open our minds and our hearts to him and to his truth. It's in his name we pray. Amen. So, I called back. Same State Farm agent. Texted the next day, same guy. Is that even legal? And get this, he remembered my name. Of course. Hey, blink twice if you're in danger. Whoa, guys, at State Farm we actually get to know you. It's called service. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. All right, so we are launching a brand new series today called Like a Good Neighbor. Uh, just by way of clarification, this is not a series sponsored by State Farm. Oh, that'd be kind of cool if we could start getting corporate sponsors for each series, you know. Uh, I'd be, you can figure that out, let me know, all right? I'm open to that. Uh, we are not trying to sell you insurance in this series. You know, this is church, we're not trying to sell you fire insurance. Um, instead, this is a series where we're going to grapple with Jesus' call to neighbor well. Uh, in this series, we're, we're going to ask ourselves th this question right here. If I'm a follower of Jesus, what does it look like for me to be a good neighbor? 
And as we begin today, we're going to start with a story that's kind of the antithesis of what it means to be a good neighbor. We're going to reach all the way back to 2016, uh, which on social media, that's like ancient history. Uh, And we're going to look at the story of a man named Marquise Gaines. His story's disturbing. I'll warn you up front about that. If you want, you, you can actually watch his story unfold. It was recorded uh, on video and posted online. All the different security cameras picked it up. But it took place, again, back in 2016 in a Chicago neighborhood, the, the River North neighborhood. And late at night, Marquise went into a 7-Eleven to get a bag of chips. And as he's coming out of the 7-Eleven, on the security footage, you can see that this man who approaches him, the guy looks pretty aggressive. And you watch Marquise kind of try and disengage, try and walk away from the man, but the guy follows him anyway. And then this confrontation ensues where the man just hits Marquise, just blasts him, knocks him to the ground, hits him so hard he knocks him out cold. Now, if the violence of that isn't disturbing enough, what happens and what doesn't happen next is even more so. As Marquise is laying there in the street, you watch about half a dozen people come up, rifle through his pockets, steal his belongings, and then take off. You then watch a new group of people come up to him, and they see him there laying in the street, and they do nothing. They just stand on the sidewalk and stare at him there. Nobody pulls him out of the street. Nobody stands in front of him to try and divert traffic. They just stand there and stare. And then on the footage, you watch a car take a right onto the street where Marquise is, and you literally watch the vehicle run him over in the street. Depending on which you know, video you are watching, you can hear the audio of people screaming in the 911 call. That night, a man was beaten, he was robbed, he was left for dead in the street. He was run over. He, he was taken to the hospital, and four hours later, he died. All the while, people saw it. They, they, he, he was in their proximity. He had a need. It was as clear as day. And nobody did anything to help him. Now, if you're watching online, if you're here in the room today, how many of us would agree Marquise's story is sick and wrong? Few of us, right? It's like, it's just something, it just violates something within us. It makes us sick to our stomach. And I would contend it's more than just the violence. The violence is bad enough, but Marquise's story It violates something within us that we inherently know to be foundational about life and humanity and spirituality. This story of a man who was beaten, left in the street, robbed, and then run over, there's something deep within us that knows, like on a foundational level, that's not how life should work. There's nothing humane about that. That is void of any kind of genuine spirituality. And yet it happened. And that, that, that something inside of us that knows this to be true, this is something that Jesus regularly taught about when he was here on earth. 
It's recorded for us a number of different times in the New Testament. One example comes from Mark's biography of Jesus' life. Mark records it this way. He says, One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. And noticing that Jesus had given a good answer, he asked Jesus, of all the commandments, which is the most important? So a man who's an expert in law, this is an individual who has spent his life studying the Mosaic law and how to apply it to every circumstance possible. He hears Jesus debating the religious leaders, religious leaders, something that Jesus did regularly. And in this instance, he hears Jesus give them a really good answer. And he's like, oh my goodness, this man knows what he's talking about. And so he asks Jesus, he's like, listen, Jesus, we have more than 600 different commandments. Out of all of them, which one is the most important? To which Jesus says this. He says, the most important one is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind and with all your strength. And then, unsolicited, Jesus gives him some more information. He's like, hey, as long as we're power ranking the commandments, let me give you number two. So he says, the second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. See, according to Jesus, After loving God, the most important thing we can be doing is loving our neighbor. And here's here's the thing. This this didn't start with Jesus. Jesus is quoting the Old Testament here. When Jesus says, love God, he's quoting Deuteronomy 6. When Jesus says, love your neighbor, he's quoting Leviticus 19. This this is something that God's people had been asked to do for thousands of years up to this point. And and not only did Jesus not make this up, but it didn't didn't start with Jesus. It doesn't end with Jesus. You continue to read your New Testament. Four out of the six authors of the letters to the early church that make up your New Testament, they quote Jesus, some more closely, some more loosely, but they quote Jesus on this idea. Like the Apostle Paul will write this. He'll say, the commandments... You shall not commit adultery, you shall not commit murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. He's he's hitting the Ten Commandments here. He's like, hey, whatever other commandment there may be, they're all summed up in this one commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. Or Peter, Peter's writing his letter, he says, above all else, he's like, listen, I've written all this stuff in my letter, but the most important thing above all else, love each other deeply. Because love covers a multitude of sins. Or James. James will write, if you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, so what's the king of all commandments? Love your neighbor as yourself. You do that. You're doing the right thing. Or John. John will write, here's what love is. It's not that we loved God. It's that he loved us and sent his son to give his life to pay for our sins. Dear friends, since God loved us this much, we should also love one another. In the very first recorded directives that God gives humanity, in the teachings of Jesus, and then again and again and again throughout the New Testament, we see this call to love our neighbor. 
this neighboring thing is kind of a big deal. And, and this is part of what make, makes Marquise's story so disturbing. See, again, Marquise's story, it violates something within us that we inherently know to be foundational about life and humanity and spirituality. I would contend that God designed us to live lives of love. That as human beings, God, like he inherently put it inside of you. Like part of what it means to be a human being is to, to love your neighbor well. That genuine spirituality, it begins here. And because God designed us this way, it's inescapable. And so when we see something like Marquise's story, where the opportunity to love was missed again and again and again, it violates that thing that God has implanted inside of you and me. We look at that story and we're like, this is not how to live. That was inhumane. That was void of spirituality. We can't miss it. And yet, whether because we know this intuitively or whether because we know this because we're students of the Bible, we keep reading it again and again and again, if we're honest, while we know that the call to love is an important one, there's something inside of us from time to time that's tempted to limit how we do this. There's something inside of us that, that's that's tempted to limit just who our neighbor might be. Or it's tempted to limit just how much we might have to love them. I mean, if, if that's you, you're not alone. If you're on the live stream, look at who else is in the chat there. If you're here in the room, t take a look around the room. Who's the person who you're, you're like, that person isn't loving their neighbor like they should. You want something to put on your connection card, write that on there, right? We'll pray for them this week. But it, 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 in all honesty, and all seriousness, like the, the temptation to go, hey, I want to limit how much I have to love my neighbor. I want to limit who my neighbor is. That's a very real thing. And it's, it's not something that started with us. Again, you go back to the life of Jesus, you get a prime example of this in another interaction that Jesus has with another lawyer. Luke records this one for us this way. He says, on one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, the other lawyer, he's genuinely coming to Jesus, seeking direction. This lawyer is coming to test him. He's going to try and trip him up in something that he's going to say. He's going to try and use his words to publicly discredit him. And so he asked Jesus, hey, Jesus, if I'm really going to know what it is to be alive in this life, if I'm going to be ready for the life to come, what do you say I have to do? Now, I love, I love the way that Jesus responds. He's going to turn his back on this guy. Jesus says to him, he says, okay, what's written in the law? How do you read it? In other words, Jesus is like, listen, you're the expert. You tell me. Now, again, this guy's trying to trap Jesus in his own words. If he's smart, he's going to be like, no, 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 Jesus, uh-uh. No, I'm asking the questions. You're giving the answers so I can use something you say against you, you know? But we're going to see Jesus asks this question, and immediately this guy's just going to answer it. And I don't know why exactly. I suspect that maybe you know somebody like this. 
Maybe you're married to somebody like this, but the, like th this guy, this lawyer, I suspect he's one of those people like when a question's out there, he has to be the one who gives the right answer, right? You ever have a class with somebody like that? Yeah, yeah that person was the worst, right? I mean, I'm gonna behave, all right. So, so Jesus asks a question and immediately the lawyer's like, oh, I got the answer. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says to him, you have answered correctly. That's a great answer. Do this. Don't talk about it. Don't teach about it. Don't theorize about it. Do this. And you'll know what it is to be alive in this life. Love God with everything you have. Love people well. You'll be ready for the life to come. And like that, the tables have been turned on our lawyer. Now that part of him that inherently, intuitively knows he's supposed to love his neighbor, that knows what it looks like to do that, is messing with the part of him that wants to limit who his neighbor is or how much he has to love people. And so seeking to justify himself, our lawyer asks, and who's my neighbor? He's, try, he's trying to create a loophole, a loophole that will allow him to limit who he has to love or how much he has to love them. And so in response to that, Jesus tells a, a famous, famous story, one, one that should sound familiar to us. Jesus starts this way, he says, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, they beat him, and they went away, leaving him half dead. Now, we don't know what this guy's name is, but his story sounds a lot like Marquise's story. He's jumped, he's beaten, he's robbed, he's left for dead in the street. He's in need. And just like Marquise, th this man has people who come into his proximity, who see his need. The first one, we're told, is a priest. The priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So to a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. Now, a priest, this is a person you bring your sacrifices to, your, your tithes to. This is a person who declares you clean and unclean. This is probably the most significant religious figure in your life. A Levite is his right-hand man. He's like the person who helps him in all the temple duties. For our lawyer, for any decent Jew who's hearing this story, if you can count on anybody to show you how to live life, to be a decent human being, to show you what it is to be spiritual, if you can count on anybody to show you how to neighbor well, it should be a priest or a Levite. But they both see this man and they step to the other side of the street and keep on hoofing it. They see his need and do nothing. And that part of us that was disgusted by Marquise's story, it should be disgust that same part of us should be disgusted by Jesus' story. And it's at this point that Jesus' story takes an unexpected turn. We're told a Samaritan as he traveled, came to where the man was. 
Now, this is a shocker for Jesus' audience because of the way that Samaritans and Jews thought and felt about each other. Because of hundreds of years of bad history, Jews and Samaritans couldn't stand one another. The last person a Jew expected to be a decent human being or show you how life was lived or to have any kind of spirituality was a Samaritan. And the, the last person a Samaritan expected to do any of those things was a Jew. The, the, the animosity, the polarization between these two groups then, kind of like Republicans and Democrats today. Yeah. In fact, if Jesus was telling his story in some audiences, Jesus would have said, and then Donald Trump, as he traveled, came to where the man was. And everybody on the left side would be like, oh. And in other groups, Jesus would be like, and then Joe Biden, as he traveled, came to where the man was. And everybody on the right side would be like, ooh. If Jesus was in Ukraine, he would say, and then Putin, as he traveled, came to where the man was. You can fill in whatever person or group of people you despise. Jesus, that's who he would pick. He says, a Samaritan, as he traveled, came to where the man was. And when he saw him, took pity on him and went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring out oil and wine. Then he put the man on his donkey and brought him into an inn and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said. And when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you have. See, it doesn't matter how much I despise Trump or Biden or Putin or Samaritans or fill in the blank. If I'm intellectually honest, I have to admit, the kind of person who does this, they're showing me how life's meant to be lived kind of person who does this, that's a decent human being. kind of person who does this, that's genuine spirituality. That's what it is to neighbor well. And so when Jesus asks the lawyer, he says, which of these do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? What else can he say? The one who had mercy on him. So Jesus says, go and do. Don't, don't talk about it. Don't teach about it. Don't theorize about it. Go and do likewise. See, when our lawyer asked Jesus, and who's my neighbor? Again, he's... He's trying to justify himself. He's looking for a loophole that will allow him to limit who his neighbor is or how much he has to love them. And if I'm, if I, if I'm being honest, I don't want to be too hard on the guy. Because, there's, again, there's part of me that looks for opportunities that's tempted at times to, to look for loopholes too. To try and limit who my neighbor is or how much I have to love them. But Jesus, doggone it. His story, it eliminates the loopholes for the lawyer and for you and for me. His story, in the simplest terms, defines who my neighbor is. Again, his, his story, you, you, it eliminates the loopholes. You think about how Jews and Samaritans felt about each other. Jesus' story just it like takes all those loopholes away. 
and the loopholes that we would use. Like Jesus' story takes away loopholes like, you know what? You, know, you made a poor decision. I mean, you think about this, this priest, this, this Levite, they're going down the road, they don't help you. You're like, why in the world wouldn't they help? Maybe they're thinking, you know what? Everybody knows you don't go to Jerusalem to Jericho by yourself. You did a stupid thing. I'm not bailing you out. It's your problem, right? Jesus' story eliminates that. Or maybe they're thinking, I ain't got time for this. I got all, have you seen my calendar at the temple? I got all these things I got to do. I'd love to help. I just don't have time. Jesus' story eliminates that. I'd love to help you. This just isn't convenient for me right now. Uh-uh. The Jews and Samaritans, the way they thought about life and culture and politics, th- th- this idea of you, the way you vote, no neighbor of mine. What you think about marriage and sexuality, the way you deal with race, you're not my neighbor. Uh-uh. Jesus' story takes those loopholes. That priest and that Levite, they might have been thinking, this guy's a mess. The people who just did that to him, he could do that to me. I need to get out of here. It's not safe to be a neighbor right now. Jesus' story takes that loophole away. The differences in economic, where they dress, how they, where they live, how they talk, all those loopholes. Jesus' story robs me, robs you, robs our lawyer of them. And then it defines who our neighbor is in the simplest of terms. According to Jesus' story, My neighbor is simply the person in my proximity who's in need. That priest and that Levite, they were in that man's proximity. He was in need. He was their neighbor. Who's my neighbor? The person in my proximity in need. And the minute he became their neighbor, the question they had to ask An answer was, will I be a neighbor back to him? Will I be a neighbor back to him? The person, the people who God allows in our proximity, be it it at work, at school, in our neighborhood, at the gym we go to, the coffee shop we frequent, maybe in our own church, our own home. The person in need in my proximity, that's my neighbor. And the question becomes, will I be a neighbor back to them? Jesus is saying to me, go and do likewise. So, as we wrap this up today, I want to give you some homework to get accomplished for next week. All right? Simple stuff. You're all capable. You're going to answer a question, and you're going to wrestle with a question going to answer one, wrestle with one. All right, so question number one. This one we're going to answer. Very simply, who's my neighbor? Who, who's the person, who are the people who are in your proximity? Be, again, be it at work, home, the neighborhood, school, church, the, the, the places you frequent in the community. Who's the person, who are the people who God has allowed into your life who are in need? And then Keep track. Make a list. Just answer the question. Who's my neighbor? And then question number two. And this is one we're going to wrestle with. All right? Question number two. How can I be a neighbor back to them? If this is my neighbor, the question becomes, will I be a neighbor back? Okay, then let me just start wrestling with, how can I be a neighbor back to them? 
And I say wrestle with this question because the minute we start thinking seriously about question number two, our loophole response mechanism starts screaming. Like, the minute we start thinking seriously about this question, things like, well, I haven't got time for that. Have you seen my schedule? Do you know how many sports my kids are in, you know? It's going to come run into our minds. Or, I do that, but I'm afraid. I, I was walking out of first service and had somebody grab me and tell me a story about how, you know, their spouse picked somebody up on the side of the road at like two in the morning and they were scared for their spouse's safety. And, and it's, it's, a, it's a huge wrestling match. It's like, I, I want to do this, but I'm afraid. And sometimes the things we're afraid of are small things and, and they're silly. Sometimes the things we're afraid of, they're big things and they're serious. Or I want to be a neighbor, but like, I don't even know where to begin. I don't know where to start. How do I do this well? Or I want to, I want to be a decent neighbor, but what about boundaries? What, what about dysfunction? What about codependency? What about enablement? How does all that work? So we're going we're gonna to begin to wrestle with question number two because the minute we start thinking about how do I neighbor well, these are the kind of objections that come to our mind. And then here's what we're going to do. Each subsequent week in this series, we're going to take one of these objections. We're going to unpack it. And we're going to talk about what, is it, what does it look like to neighbor well even in the midst of that. See, again, God's very first written directives to humanity calls us to love. Jesus' teaching while he is here on earth, he models it, he regularly says, hey, right after loving God, the most important thing you can do is love your neighbor. The early church after him repeats it again and again and again. Love your neighbor. Is neighboring things a big deal? So we want to invite you, come on back for the next few weeks. Join us as we, we try and discover together what it looks like to go and do likewise. Let's pray. Father, just as, as we think about this call that you've had on your people since you had them start writing down what you wanted them to do, this call that, that Jesus lived out, that the church repeated, this call to love well. Father, I just pray you'd meet us in this today, this week, over the course of this series. Help us this week. Just pay attention to ask you, to listen, to answer the question. Who's my neighbor? And then, Father, in, in the midst of all the loopholes, all the excuses, all the objections that will come screaming to our mind, help us, please, to see what it looks like to love our neighbor well, to be a neighbor back to them. Help us, help us to be a community of people in a way that is just contagious, that goes out and does likewise. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Oh, 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 oh,